Hey, turn your Bibles, Acts chapter 13, Acts 13, and I want to show you a little picture. This week, I, on the uh, 4th of July week, I got to go see my grandson. He lives in northwest Arkansas in Rogers, and uh, he's about 19 months or so, and we're eating an ice cream cone, but I, something extremely dismayed, uh, dismaying happened while he was eating this ice cream. I realized I need to get that boy out of northwest Arkansas and back here because they don't even know how to eat ice cream in northwest Arkansas. Let me show you what I observed here. I couldn't believe my eyes. Hey, Henry, lick your ice cream. Lick it. Someone needs to teach Henry how to eat an ice cream cone. So the moral of that story is, let your kids grow up in Texarkana. How about that? Turn your Bibles, Acts chapter 13. We have been doing a series uh, called Supernatural. It's been about experiencing the power and presence of God in everyday life. I have provoked you to ask the question, is it possible that what we read about in the book of Acts could happen today? Uh, my premise is it is, and I'll continue to unfold that today. But I, I want to read a little bit about the history of the early church today, what, what, what Christians were doing and what, they were, what was happening in the early church days. Acts chapter 13, at this point in time, the church is predominantly a Jewish church centered in Jerusalem. Peter is the dominant person in the book of Acts. But now we see a shift. Uh, scripture says they were in the church at Antioch, which was north of, uh, much north of Jerusalem, there were prophets and teachers. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, in other words, this was a gathering of believers, notice the scripture says, the Holy Spirit said. Now this was not some booming voice that you couldn't see anybody. This likely came through the voice of a prophet that was there. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. In other words, this man Saul dramatically converted as Saul, is going to be the man that God chose to send into the non-Jewish world, the Gentile world, which is us. You and I are Christians today partly because of the work of Paul the Apostle. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But the way this happened, it happened in a spiritual prayer meeting where there was worship and there was a prophetic word where God declared his will and literally the world would change because of that. Uh, they fasted, continuing to fast, and then they added prayer to it. I believe the prayer was in part to confirm that that was indeed a word from God. Because I may know just because somebody says God told me something doesn't make it so. There has to be a judgment. I'm going to talk more about that next week. A discernment for, for words. Well, anyway, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. You, you, you may have never been in a church where there was prayer that people would touch one another. You know, and I don't mean inappropriately, but they might touch their forehead like we did when we prayed. Or maybe you saw people in the congregation lift their hands towards the person in prayer. Well, it emerges from the doctrine of the laying on of hands, a belief that there is a spiritual impartation when godly people lay their hands in faith on another person and they sent them off. Now, this is the way ministry is supposed to start and happen. Uh, a lot of times people get ambitious, they love the Lord and feel like God's called them to do something, and off they go. 
But the right way to do it, the biblical way, is to be submitted to spiritual covering, to allow other people to speak into your life and cover you as you go out. That way you continue to be an extended family and there's a, the best of both worlds. But now the story gets interesting. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, how many know you can send yourself out too? You can, but they were sent by the Holy Spirit. They went down to a place called Seleucia and they came upon a magician. He was a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And it's interesting where they found this man. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Now, a proconsul is a Roman governor. It might be like Governor Abbott uh, here in, uh, uh, in Texas. So it's a very influential man, an intelligent man. But what I want you to see is in the spirit world, Satan had assigned a magician, a sorcerer, to influence this leader of the nation. Well, uh, but this guy, he wanted, to, uh, he wanted to hear what Saul and Barnabas had to say, Sergius Paulus. But Elmas the magician opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. This is a demonic strategy, the way it works. He wants to keep people's focus off uh, the Lord and on to something else, and that's what he was trying to do. But verse 9, pretty incredible here, as we talk about this series, Supernatural, Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we've talked about that term. You can pick it up in past messages. But he turned and he looked to this magician and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. You're going to be blind and unable to see for a time. Now, I'm not encouraging you to try to make people blind, okay? But, but what I want you to see the result of this. When God's kingdom of light and darkness bumped into each other, God's kingdom won. Mist and darkness fell upon this man, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And verse 12 is the pivotal verse. Then the proconsul believed in Jesus. It was because not only what he heard, but what he saw, this supernatural act. Uh, when he saw what occurred, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, here's my question. Is this just a record of church history? Uh, is this just something that ancient apostles did that we look back like we would on a history book? Or is it possible supernatural acts like this can occur today? I believe it's possible. And I believe it's possible, number one, because it's in the Bible. I mean, no, the Bible is our guide for life. But number two, there's nothing in Scripture that clearly teaches the gifts of the Holy Spirit will cease. I suggest to you that when Paul operated in this power, he was operating in gifts of the Holy Spirit. This idea of preaching the Word of God, preaching truth, but yet the Spirit of God moving alongside us, it was the pattern Jesus established in the early first with the 12 apostles, then with the 70, then with the early church. Why not today? And then lastly, if you'll study church history, you can find that there have been gifts of the Spirit and supernatural acts recorded throughout church history. So this is not a, just a by-faith thing to take. This, is a, this can be very analytical and you can uh, uh, historically grounded. Now, in this series, Supernatural, we have been talking about experiencing the power and presence of God. In the last two weeks, we've talked about the Holy Spirit. Now, one key verse kind of undergirds the whole conversation of the last three or four weeks. It's Acts 1.8. It has to do with perspective and purpose. Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the purpose of this power of the Spirit is to enable you to be a witness for Christ, 
telling people about him everywhere. In other words, so you can see the kingdom of God expand through not only words, but through the power of the Spirit. Well, today I want to talk about the spiritual gift, spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives believers to do God's work. It's kind of going to be a panorama message. There are three passages in the New Testament that primarily talk of the gifts. One in Romans that I'll call motivational gifts. One in Ephesians that talk about uh, ministry gifts or ascension gift ministries of Christ. And lastly, there's a list in Corinthians that we'll close on. But uh, let's, go, let's uh, get into it today as we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to take this scripture to heart. It's 1 Corinthians 14.1, and I want you to say it with me. It says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Can we say it again? Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. I want to discourage you from having an attitude of saying, well, bless God, I'll just see. If that's what God wants to do for me, then, brother, then he'll just do it. I'll tell you what. Don't have that attitude. Hunger for the things of God that are grounded in Scripture that God wants to give us to make a difference in the world. Let's talk about the motivational gifts. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 4. Scripture says, Just as our bodies have many parts, ears for hearing, nose for smelling, uh, eyes for seeing, so it is with Christ's body. In other words, every one of us has something in the body of Christ. Every one of us has a gift that's... How many know if you're a thumb in the body of Christ and you're absent from duty, it's pretty hard to pick up the coffee cup. You might even become a two-handed drinker. Are you with me today? A two-fisted drinker. That's as close to a joke as I came today. <laughs> so it is with Christ's body. Now look at verse 6. God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Which means there are ways that God wants you to excel in and that excelling will help people in the relationship with God. It will turn them to God. For example, I do not have the gift of singing. Please do not say amen, it will hurt my feelings. But there is a reason I'm not on the stage during worship time. It's because that's not my gift. Uh, we all have different gifts that we do well. There's a group of guys, we've been doing work days at Gander Mountain, and uh, the public ones are, I think, over. But there was a half a dozen guys that just kept going on Tuesday and Thursday night to get it finished out. They had skill, they had gift, but I believe that they were moved by the gift of serving that we'll talk about in just a moment. And their addition to the body of Christ is profound. But let's look at these different gifts of doing things well. The first one is called the gift of prophecy. Now, prophecy, he says, uh, look at uh, verse 6. If God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.3 tells us what this gift is. People who prophesy speak to people to give them what? Strength, encouragement, and comfort. Now, how many can say, I need some of that? I need that almost every day of my life. Sure we do. Uh, do you realize it is, it is the most encouraged gift in the lists? Now, next week we're going to talk about the gift of prophecy, and I'm not going to go much in it today, but I want to go deeper in it. Because people who prophesy, what they're trying to do is hear from God simply a word that would strengthen, encourage, or comfort someone. And that's a very good thing. Now, he goes on to say in verse 7, If your gift is serving others, here's the second gift, serve them well. Now, many people that have this gift or this motivation, 
feel that what they're doing is not a superior thing. You know, anybody could do it. Well, anybody could do it, but not many people do. Uh, serving by definition is waiting on tables. It's doing things to help others and advance God's kingdom. Now Jesus gave us an example in Matthew 20. The Son of Man didn't come to serve, to be served, but to serve others. But there is a particular motivation. Uh, some of us find great joy from serving others. Some of us, when we help people, it makes us feel like we've done something. We're accomplished. We're satisfied. Much like uh, Romans 16.1, a woman, her name was Phoebe. She's called a servant of the church of Sintre. Uh, Phoebe, a servant or a deaconess. And I can tell you wholeheartedly that most of the success of Church on the Rock is not because of me, but it's people who faithfully serve every week in the ministries of the church. When you saw that little video about going out, to, uh, going out to the fairgrounds, that's a big, big deal. But what you didn't see was all the people that were behind the scenes that were getting the truck ready and that were setting it up and that were handing out snow cones and all those kind of things. We didn't clap for them. We clapped for the evangelists, Pastor Mike, that had, you know, maybe 20-something people, they said, made steps to Christ. But it was the servants that make it happen. I've got just a few pictures. I want you to just think about some of the people that should be celebrated in our church. And number one, it's the people that serve donuts in the cafe on Sunday. Everybody said, praise the Lord for them. And second to them is the cappuccino, <laughs> the cappuccino team. Now look, you don't have to have cappuccino to have church. But you know what? People enjoy it. People enjoy it. Guys that were working out at Gander Mountain, uh, stripping the building. Uh, now these are people to be applauded, people that work with children that teach children not their own, especially if it, yeah. Uh, 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 greeters, now think about a greeter. You want people, someone that's greeting that's friendly, right? You don't want someone that's going saying, hey, I've got to hand out 20 bullets and take one. <laughs> Next person, get in that church building. Get out of this. We don't have much room out. You don't want, <laughs> you want somebody to be hospitable. How about the sound, our guys that work in sound? You never, know you never notice them until something bad happens. But don't they do a great, great job every week? It's consistent quality. And the gals that work in the nursery, I mean, what is all this? These are people who are serving. But some people serve because they're on the rotation. Some people serve as a way of life. And this is the gift that we're talking about. Let's look at verse 7. If you're a teacher, teach well. Now, I want to broaden this idea of a teacher. Remember I told you there were three basic big gift scriptures let me give you another one. It's from Ephesians 4. This is called the fivefold or the ascension gift ministries that Christ gave gifted people to the church. This is not a spiritual gift that I receive to use, but this is a gifted person in the body of Christ with a calling. Uh, Christ gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, I any of us that were raised in, an, in a conservative Christian church, we've always heard of pastors and teachers and evangelists, but the idea of apostles and prophets have been a little apprehensive. Well, I want to suggest these ministries are needed today. Why? Verse 12 says, to equip people, God's people, for works of service. In other words, to train us so the body of Christ may be built up. But verse 13, and I'm sorry it's not on there, but verse 13 says, until... We reach the unity of the faith, and until we come to the maturity of the statue of Christ. Now, how many can say, we don't have the unity of the faith in the body of Christ in America, Pastor? Certainly not in Texarkana. We're not there yet. We don't have the maturity that this scripture speaks of, so it just makes sense to me. We need the ministries of apostles and prophets. 
But anyway, that's a little aside. This, though, is the gift of a teacher. Uh, this, a teacher declares truth and keeps us from error. And this is one of the most needful gifts at Church on the Rock. Uh, we have not had a place for teachers, really, in our church. We just hadn't had any room. We're having classes in classrooms and closets and in, in, in offices, and, and it just has not had the, the stature of the place. But that's about to change when we move in our new building. We're going to have some space, and let me tell you what the teacher has the power to do. The teacher has the power to put roots in the Christian. See, God even agrees with me. Teacher has the power... To, to cause our roots to go down and make us strong because they're building a firm foundation. And I'm calling for teachers to rise up in our church. Look at verse 8. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. I'll tell you a funny story here. I love kids. My wife won't let me have any more. My grandchild's pretty far away. So I try to bribe children in church like three or four year olds and when I'm standing at the door I've got these little uh, little fruit snack things of course I always ask their parents but uh, now uh, some kids have figured it out and they just come next to me and they go because their mom has told them don't ask him for any candy and they're trying to be polite well what would happen if I just kept it in my pocket yeah I wouldn't have any friends Okay, but not just no, any friends. But what I want you to see is this is what we often do with the gift God's given us. God has wired us in such a way to be an encourager or a teacher or a servant or a leader. And rather than taking it out and using it and giving it for whatever reason, we keep it in our pocket. Think about this gift of encouragement. He says, if your gift is to encourage, then be encouraging. Now, they, there's, a, there's a whole person that defines this gift. His name is Joseph. It's Acts 4. But the apostles recall, renamed him Barnabas. And Barnabas, by definition, means son of encouragement. Now, this is strange in the language construction. It doesn't mean that his daddy was named encouragement. Son of is a way of indicating the qualities that distinguish him. So for Barnabas, uh, well, the definition of encouragement is someone who gives or increases confidence of success. Uh, someone who can inspire you with courage or hope or strength, really for a hard task. Uh, coaches and teachers are known for this. Those that are beloved, they, they, they encourage the kids to excel. But I found this happened to me last week in a restaurant. We were having Asian food when we were in Rogers. And uh, the guy that was waiting on us, uh, he was a little bit new in it, but he was very friendly. And uh, he was talking to us, and, and I said, well, what do you do other than, than work in the restaurant? He said, well, I go to college, and uh, what are you studying? Well, I'm studying graphics. And I said, man, now that can be a real career. You can excel in that field. And all of a sudden, he just... He said, yeah, but they tell me there's so many people that, I'm, that are competing and so many people that do it. And then I shared a scripture from Proverbs. I said, have you ever heard of the proverb that says, do you see a man skilled in his work? He'll stand before kings and not average men. I said, what that scripture means is if you will excel at the gift that you have. And he's saying, well, I believe I got it. I believe I got it. God says, if you'll work hard, you can excel in your life. And the whole countenance and demeanor of this guy changed. Why? I'm not saying I have the gift of encouragement, but it is easy to do. Are you with me today? And I, I don't, I, if, if we were to ask the question today, what is the number one thing people needed when they come to church? I bet you the, the overwhelming answer would be encouragement. 
we're struggling in our parenting skills, we're struggling on our job, we're struggling with our self-esteem, we're struggling raising our kids, we're struggling to get along with the neighbor. And if someone brings life to us, can I tell you what, friends? Virtually every one of us can be that. Give the Lord a good, a good hand. The, eight, uh, the fifth one, if, if your, your gift is giving, give generously. Now, all of us give, but sometimes it's grudgingly. I mean, you know, sometimes I'm happy to pay my tithe, and sometimes I'm not, but I do it because it's the right thing to do. But a generous giver, to be generous means to be open-handed and not tight-fisted. And you derive great joy from giving. Uh, I, I've got a friend that has this gift. And uh, you know, when we go out to a restaurant, uh, I, I'm figuring out what 20% is. And he'll, he'll sometimes tip more than the, the whole meal was. Uh, and one day I asked him, I said, have you always been generous? And he said, yeah. He said, but when I became a Christian, it changed. When I became a Christian, I began to give to people on behalf of God. And then God began to bless me and has blessed me in ways that I've never thought I would be blessed. And what I've done is I've continued to give more. And what I've observed, they don't, this person doesn't do it publicly. They don't, you know, they don't want their picture on the newspaper with a big check. Are you with me today? They do it as unto the Lord, and their giving is in secret. And uh, God just continues to bless their socks off. How many know if you're going to give, you need to have something to give? But once God gets our heart straightened out, it can be a wonderful gift in the body of Christ. Look at verse 8. If God has given you leadership ability, here, take it out of your pocket Take the responsibility seriously. Now let me tell you, I've been in uh, Christian ministry 40 years. There's three types of people that it takes for a healthy church. It takes servers, givers, and leaders. Leaders have a unique ability. The church is filled with people that are successful in the world. You're successful as a coach on a ball team. You're successful in your business uh, uh, where you are. You're the person that ends up being the organizer of the PTA. Whatever you do, you've got a leadership grace. But oftentimes, leaders are so overwhelmed with life and so busy that when they come to church, they just want to go before they go back out in their world. Here's, here's what I want to say to you if you're a leader. The church needs you. I don't mean just our church. The kingdom of God needs your influence. The kingdom of God needs your ability to bring people together, to see things that need to be done and know how to do them. Lots of us see things that need to be done, but we don't know how to get it done. We need your gift and we need your ministry. Take it out of your pocket and, and use it if it's a God-given gift. Uh, let me give you one more here. Number seven, if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Now let me illustrate this. Acts 9.36, there's a woman, her name is Dorcas. The Bible says she was always kind, uh, doing kind things for others and helping the poor. Now think about this picture. She became ill and she died. Peter is there. The whole room of people is, is filled. But notice who's there. The room is filled with widows. There was no more needy a person in ancient Israel than a widow. The, ro excuse me, the room was filled with widows and they're weeping. But look, they're showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. Can I tell you, friends, showing mercy and kindness and compassion is a conduit of God's love for hurting people. And if you feel people's pain and feel compelled to help, let me say this, do it, friend, because it's pleasing to God. Give the Lord a good, a good hand. 
Now, the last few minutes, I want to discuss uh, uh, from 1 Corinthians 12, this third large group of gifts called the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we can kind of break them down. There's three revelation gifts, and a revelation gift is where God reveals something that's unknown to the natural senses. There are three power gifts. There's a supernatural manifestation of God's power. And then there's three speaking gifts that are accomplished through words. Let's begin. 1 Corinthians 12 he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. Another translation says ignorant. Now, I don't know about you, but I was, I was not raised in a church that taught me about spiritual gifts. I was not raised in a church that told me that was possible for today. We just kind of ignored the whole subject. So I was uninformed. And imagine what joy it came in my life particularly as someone that was sensing a call of God on their life, to know that God had a particular way that he wanted to gift me. Now, I want you to remember, after this 12th chapter, what I read earlier, desire spiritual gifts. So these gifts that we're talking about have the specific connotation that you and I should ask God for them. We should ask people to pray for us, to give these gifts to us to be able to use. Now, let's dig into it. He says, concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed. There's varieties of gifts. In other words, there's lots of different things that Christians do, but it's the same Holy Spirit. And to each one of us is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, everybody in this room has at least one spiritual gift. And most of us, I suggest, have the potential to have a couple operating in our life and become proficient at it. Let me say this about spiritual gifts. You don't start out the first time you exercise your gift proficient. The first time you start out, you don't start out always knowing what you're doing or even always being accurate. Can I say this? It's okay to practice and get a little experience under your belt. Come on, before you begin to excel in what God's called you to do. Now, let's look first at these revelation gifts. Verse 8 says, To one person is given through the Spirit. In other words, this, you don't go to Bible college to learn this gift. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And the first gift, he says, is the utterance of wisdom. Some translations call it a word of wisdom. Let's call it this, a problem solver. And let me illustrate it in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 is a, uh, is a potentially divisive time. The church had been centered by and large in Jerusalem. It maintained its Jewish flavor. But now Paul had taken the gospel throughout the Mediterranean world. And there's some Jews that are traveling behind Paul. And they're telling Gentile Christians, they're saying, look, you've got to obey the Old Testament laws. You've got to obey the dietary laws and the feasts and all those different things. Uh, and, and basically, they're just freaking out. So Paul goes back to his spiritual authority. He goes back to Jerusalem and said, look, we've got a problem. What do we do? So they had apostles and elders that were there, and they talked about it. But then one man stood up, and I believe he had the gift of wisdom. He was James. And James stood up and said, brothers, listen to me. He said, my judgment is we shouldn't make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we write them and tell them. And he told them three things that would be offensive to the Jews. And just like that, a letter was written. It was sent to the church, and everybody went... Okay, that's what we're going to do. And rather than a church being divided, a church was brought together and made stronger. This is the gift of wisdom. 
And this gift can operate in your life, whether you're in the hospital, whether you're in the business uh, office, or wherever you are. This is not a gift limited to the church, but this is God giving us the ability to be problem solvers. So I suggest to you, this is something we can all pray for. That God, when, when we are in a situation that wisdom is needed, we can ask the Holy Spirit to give it to us. Come on, how about an amen on that one? Here's another one. Look at verse 8. To another person, the utterance of knowledge, as opposed to wisdom, knowledge. Some translations say a word of knowledge according to the same Holy Spirit. Now, this gift reveals what's hidden or unknown. Uh, you, and I, you, you and I battle uh, a philosophy called materialism, and it's not just the love of things, but it is a belief that nothing exists outside of the world of matter. There's no such thing as the human soul. Only what can be seen under a microscope or telescope or quantified is what's real and true, and there is nothing supernatural outside of that. And in that knowledge base, there is a limitation. Well, a word of knowledge, how I many know God lives outside of that? And God knows things that people don't know. And God can reveal through this gift of knowledge. Let me give you an example. Acts 11, it was a man, he was known as a prophet. His name was Agabus. And notice, he spoke with the help of the Holy Spirit. This was not just him. He was not a psychic. He was not clairvoyant. But he spoke with the help of the Holy Spirit. And he said, a great famine is coming on the entire Roman world. And oh, by the way, the Bible says this was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. He predicted a famine, and what they did, verse 29, was they decided to send relief or financial help to the brothers and sisters in Judea. Gentiles are helping Jews because of what the Jews gave them spiritually. How did Agabus know this? The Holy Spirit revealed him to him. Listen, they're having a pretty tough time predicting earthquakes in California. Aren't you glad you don't live in California? 7.1 a day or so ago, and they say that hadn't relieved the pressure. It's going to get worse. Uh, I, I read that there was an app, I think, that, uh, that was, they had, and the app didn't tell people the, the uh, uh, earthquake was coming, and they were all upset, but the developers promised them that they were going to fix it, and it was going to get better. Listen, friends, we are limited in what we know, but God is unlimited, and God can show us things. How many know God revealed a dream to Pharaoh about a famine that was coming? And Joseph, through the gift of wisdom, Joseph was able to tell him what to do. Uh, let's look at verse 9, a power gift. To another, faith by the same Spirit. Now on the surface, how many know all of us have faith? Well, if you're a Christian, you have faith. You're saved by grace through Faith, it's a gift of God, not by works, lest any should boast. We all have faith, but this gift believes that God can move mountains and do the impossible if we would believe. I suggest to you, Paul used this gift. Remember when he was, in our, in our text today, when Paul talked to the magician? And remember what Paul said? Behold, the hand of the Lord is on you, and you'll be blind and unable to see. And immediately it happened. I don't think Paul just went to him and said, Hey, uh, uh, Mr. Magician. My name is Paul, like, and uh, like I'm really hoping that God's going to do something here, and uh, I'm going to cross my fingers and everything and just kind of hope that this go I don't think it happened that way. Power was released. Fa this gift of faith has spiritual power. Let's keep moving. Verse 9, to another, gifts of healing by the one and same Spirit. In other words, healing for our physical bodies. I want you to listen to a testimony from a member of ours, and this, uh, uh, this happened a couple months ago. 
Hello, my name is Vicki Stone. Uh, I've been going to Church in the Rock consistently for about five or six years now. Uh, my children goes here and, and my grandchildren. And I go to Dave and Richie Grant's house for prayer. We have a prayer group there and it's a lot of friends and I'm usually praying for other people. But this time somebody said, can we pray for you? I didn't even tell them what I needed prayer for. They just said, can we pray for you? And I said, sure. Well, I have sco I've had scoliosis all my life and I was in a car wreck in 2013 and it was a side impact and it turned a soft curve into a kink and the bone was actually poking out in my back and it was a lot of pain. Uh, when I laid down at night, it was really bad because I couldn't get comfortable. And so somebody started praying for my spine to straighten up and Donna Hale was standing in front of me and she said, your shoulders are uneven. One of them's like an inch and a half lower than the other. And I said, yes, I know. And Norma was standing behind me and she said, I feel something moving in, in your back. Are you moving? And I said, no, I'm not moving. So I started feeling the muscles shifting. I started feeling the bone in my spine changing. The shoulders started coming up. It was about a 20 minute process. I had several people with their hands on my back. They could feel everything happening. I could feel everything happening, but I wasn't doing anything. Donna could see the shoulder coming up. It was amazing. And when they got through praying, I ran my thumb down the back of my spine and I said, it's straight, it's straight. And everybody else says, yes, I can tell it's straight. And so I went home that, that, that night and I was just amazed in the morning I got up and first thing I did was run my thumb down the back of my spine. I said, it's still there. There's no kink. There's no kink. And I did that for about a week. And uh, so everybody was just amazed. And so what I want to say is God still does miraculous things and you don't have to be a great evangelist or in some healing revival for God to do miraculous things. He did it in a home group with some of my friends and it's still straight. Well, before I showed this, I called her Thursday and I said, Vicki, is it still straight? And she said, it sure is. Go ahead and stand up over there here. We rejoice with you for the Lord's touch in your life. Praise the Lord. And as far as Gump would say, that's all I have to say about that. Let's uh, look at verse 10. Uh, to another, the working of miracles. Now, a miracle, by definition, is something supernatural, supernatural intervention from God in human affairs that alters the course of natural law. It happened in Acts chapter 20. Paul is preaching. He is uh, going long into the night. He's on the third floor. There's a young man. His name is Eutychus. He's listening intently, but he's sleeping in the windowsill. He falls asleep as Paul talked on and on. And when he was asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. And dead, friend, is dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him and said, Don't be alarmed. He's alive. The people took the young man home alive. And one of the greatest understatements of the Bible, they were greatly comforted. So what I share with you today is simply what the Bible says. I believe it whether I've seen it or not. And this is big because I think a lot of people develop their theology out of their experience. Instead of developing their experience or, or developing their theology out of the Bible and hoping their experience matches up. I've seen a lot of things in church for 40 years, but one stands out to me dramatically. It was, oh, 15 years ago, maybe 18 years ago, we were in Mexico, and it was at a drug rehab kind of place. 
So that's the lower the low. And there was a woman that was in the back that, uh, unbeknownst to us, was blind. And somewhere in the middle of the church service, uh, uh, kids began coming up to her, sitting on her lap, and it was a little distracting, and she was crying. And come to find out, we inquired later what happened, and then this blind woman was able to see. I was there. I think I'm going to give my last message is why, though, we don't see as many miracles, and why are some people not healed? Because there's a tension in this. Because we all want to have faith to believe, but having believed and the miracle didn't happen, we're left at a struggle. And I think we may talk about that. Let me, let me wrap this up today. Verse 10 is an interesting one. This is a revelation gift, the third one. Uh, the Holy Spirit gives to another the ability to know the difference between good and evil spirits. Now this is pretty big. Remember when Paul called the sorcerer, you son of the devil? How did he know that? How did he know that he wasn't just a bad guy or a bad politician? Because the guy probably looked normal on the outside. I doubt the, 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 the magician looked like uh, uh, the exorcist. You, you know, the gal with the long tongue and all that. Only horror movie I ever saw. It scared me. I didn't want to go back. But I doubt he looked like that. He looked probably normal. How did Paul know that this man was impacted by a demon? It was this gift this spiritual gift of discerning spirits. I'll wrap up with this verse. Uh, two, of the, uh, two more speaking gifts. Verse 10, to another person, uh, uh, various kinds of tongues, or this is languages, highly controversial. To another, the interpretation of the language. Now what does that mean? That God give, can give a supernatural ability to pray in an unlearned language. And materialism would tell you that's impossible. You can't do anything you can speak. And oh, by the way, I tried the internet course and I did not learn Spanish in nine weeks. So therefore, it's impossible. How many know the world had one language at the Tower of Babel? And God supernaturally touched it and brought confusion and the people were scattered over the earth. How many know on the day of Pentecost, the same God took Jews who spoke Hebrew or Aramaic and, and, and they spoke in a language that was somehow heard in, the home, in somebody else's language from throughout the Roman Empire. You say, how could that happen? God. And this is where faith must kick in for all of us to believe that God can do by His Holy Spirit the impossible if we're willing to step out in faith and believe God and as best as, best as we know how, walk in obedience. Come on, somebody give the, give the Lord a good hand. Now let me wrap this up. I want you to give me five more minutes. I, I, I want to ask the question, well, now what, Pastor? Because you can leave this place today one of two ways. You can say, well, all he did was taught us the Bible for 40 minutes, and I learned a lot. Or you can make the step towards your spiritual gift. Because, my friends, knowledge alone is not enough. My hope today is that you would begin using what God has given you that you would desire different spiritual gifts to make a difference in this world. Uh, a motivate you. So my question I want to close with is, how do I receive a spiritual gift? Well, I think some are just given to us when we're born. I think our, the way our DNA is made, I think some when we're born again. For example, I, one of the gifts that I have is a gift of administration. It's another gift mentioned in the Bible. I'm a detail-oriented person. You say, how do you know that? I've just been detailed all my life. When I was a boy, my dad uh, was planting sweet corn. 
And uh, we had a planter, and it had four hoppers in it. And uh, he ran in the house to make a phone call. It was before days of cell phones. And uh, he gave me a bag of sweet corn. He said, divide this up among all the four hoppers. It's got to be equal. Otherwise, we'll have some rows that won't have corn on it. So guess what I did? One, two, three, four. One, two, three. Now, I'd have got them even. But he comes out of the house going, that's not the way you do it. And he took that bag and he went, do it like this. And he poured a fourth and a fourth and a fourth and a fourth. And before I knew it, he was on the tractor off to the field. That'd have been two hours doing it. But there's a power for people that have a detailed capacity. They can balance their checkbook. Come on, punch your neighbor right now. So if I have to choose between being musical or creative or doing something with details or organizing, guess what I'm going to choose every time? Sure, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose that. I have a teaching gift. There's some reason that you're here. But, but there's other people that surround me that have other gifts that bring whatever strength there is in this church that causes it to happen. So the first thing is you've just got to take it out of your pocket and use it. And then I'm going to give you one more thing that, that intrigue you. Now remember we talked about earnestly desiring spiritual gifts. I want to encourage you to move beyond just being passive. To actively seeking God for the Holy Spirit's gifts in your life. Now listen to what Paul said in 1 Timothy 4. He told Timothy, and I bet you for many of us you've never heard this. Don't neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Some spiritual gifts can be imparted when someone who has the gift... And they release their faith, and I don't know how it happens, but it happens. So if you will equate your desire with somebody who seems to have a gift that you desire, I think something big can happen. Listen to what else Paul said about that same thing. He said, fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. In other words, let's say we got a fire in the house and it goes down. You don't just say, oh, well, let's turn the heater on now the fire goes out. No, you get the poker and what do you do? You poke it up a little bit, you put some more wood on top, and if it still doesn't burn, you get some smaller pieces of wood and you put it at the bottom of the fire so the small catches again the drier wood and before you know it, you got a fire burning. That's the exact thing he's saying that you and I need to do with our spiritual gift. I cannot just stay home. I, cannot, I do not want to just leave it in my pocket and one day get to heaven and, 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 and well, Lord, you gave me all this but I was too busy, or whatever the case is, or I was scared, or whatever. I want to use my gift the rest of my life. Come on now. I want to bring as much joy as I can to as many kids that I can, every service that I'm in. I even told them to get a bucket, because when I run out, I want to bless some more when I happen to be out. Okay? The same thing can happen in our spiritual life, that there is a world out there that's in need of a Savior, and the Holy Spirit wants to anoint us to do great works on the earth. Let's be all God calls us to be, huh? Come on, give him a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand to your feet, and I want to I have a, a prayer with you. And again, I want to ask you the question, now what? What in the course of the last 35, 40 minutes has the Holy Spirit talked to you about? And I want you to bow your head just a moment. And I want to ask you this question. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know what my gift is. 
but I don't want to live the rest of my life not knowing. It's time I got on board serving God. I know the Holy Spirit wants to use me, but I'm just not sure what it is. And I want you to pray with me that God will show me. If that's you, would you just lift your hand in all honesty today? Just slip your hand all over the room. Yeah, all over the room. I'm not sure what God's called me to do. At this stage of my life, I don't know what it is. But I want the Holy Spirit to show me because I don't want to waste my life. Now let's keep our heads, uh, eyes closed another moment. Maybe you're here today and you'll say, Pastor, I, I know what my gift is. When you were going over that list of leading and serving and teaching and, and maybe even some in the other list that wisdom, I know what my gifts are. I know what I'm good at. But if I'm honest with God today, my, my gift is pretty much stays in my pocket. And I'm ready to make a change. I'm ready to start using the gift that God has given me. I've not been using them the way the Lord wants me to. And I want to make place for that in my life. If that's you and you want to make that commitment to the Lord, just lift your hand right now. That's right. I know what my gift is. That's right. All over the building. I know what my gift is and I want to start using it. Because there's a world out there that's in need of a Savior. Well, Holy Spirit, we have not only enjoyed our time together in worship and been stretched by your word, but I want to pray right now. Let's all just reach out to heaven. Say, Lord, we want the fullness of your Holy Spirit in our life. We want what the early church had. They were filled with the Spirit and they did great works for God. I pray, Lord, that you help us know what our role is and have the courage and the faith to do it. Anoint us, Holy Spirit. Don't let us live content to have the gift in the pocket. But let us, Lord, be able to find out what it is and start going through the doors to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with one last song, and the way we're going to close is this. By the way, on our Connect class on Wednesday night, brand new, starting afresh. It's for new people in the church. One of the parts is that we have a spiritual gift test where you can take a spiritual gift test, and we have a coach that will kind of help point you in a, in a direction there. So if you've not gone through that, that would be great this Wednesday. But we're going to have an opportunity for prayer. We're going to invite our prayer team to come to the front. They'll be here to pray with you about any needs you have. It could be some struggle you're having in your life, or, or maybe this message. When you, we talked about the laying on of hands for a spiritual gift. Maybe you want somebody to pray for you that God might move in you in a certain way. But the most important thing we want to pray for today is anyone that may be here and your relationship with God is not where it needs to be. Maybe the last few days or weeks you've been coming to a realization that you just have not... God's missing from your life. It's like the God that wants to be close is far away. And something's touched you in the church, whether it was today or recently, but what you deep in your heart want to do, you just want to get right with God. I fully understand it. I had the same experience when I was 19 years of age. It was after several months of feeling the, the world just not satisfying me. What had made me happy before no longer made me happy. And what I was becoming aware of was my need for God. And on August 15th, 1976, I prayed a prayer just like you can pray today. And I committed my life to follow Jesus Christ. And can I tell you, friend, He changed my life in a better way than I could ever imagine. I won't tell you you won't ever have problems, but I'll tell you this, you'll know the one that's the problem solver. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I want to get my life right with God. Maybe it's the first time you've ever made this step to Christ, or maybe you've just gotten away from the Lord and you want to start your relationship with God afresh. 
When they start playing this song, I'm going to encourage you to just slip out of your chair and make your way to the cross. Somebody will be there. They'll pray with you. They'll give you something to help you. But I'm telling you this, friend. There's something powerful about walking away. The symbolism of walking away from my past and walking towards my Savior. I hope you'll come. Go ahead and begin to play, Pastor Zach. Our prayer team is coming to the front right now. They are here to pray for you about anything. But if you need to get your life right with God, we'll see you at the cross.